Unearthing Paranormalcy is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Chad. And this week, uh, we have a little update on Eli. Uh, It is the 18th, and he had another seizure early this morning. Um, They had moved him from a, what was it? It was an ICU, then he went into Next Step. And then he went into a regular room, so they've moved him from the regular room back to the next step. He recovered well from this one. He was talking and eating and everything tonight. So, but it was a little bit of a setback because we thought he was going to get to come home with, or at least go to a rehab center within the next week. So he's going to be in the hospital a little bit longer. So keep those prayers coming. Um, hopefully, they can figure out what caused this seizure and what's causing the seizures. I think that I think they thought they had it figured out, and then yeah, I think they did too. And then this happened, so now they're kind of like, "Well, maybe we don't know what happened." So hopefully, they can get that all solved for us. Uh, let's go ahead and play a trailer from the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. So what's up? It's the sex positive comedy show your parents forgot to warn you about. I will be a delightful host, Jeep Weird, and with me are my three very sexy friends. I'm Captain Spanx, dropping anchor. It's a I spanker. Hi, I'm Raven Gunnigan, and I'm about to eat 16 feet of nerd rope. And I'm Luxa, and that is all you get to know about me. <laughs> Join us for a ride full of twists and turns as we explore the rabbit hole that is human sexuality. I, Smuts Up Crew, would like to propose. Oh my god, he's proposing. A question. Get down on your fucking knees. (laughs) If you're curious about expanding your horizons or getting more comfortable in your own skin, then the Smuts Up podcast is for you. Or maybe you're just a horny nerd or a person who enjoys outdated references. The Smuts Up podcast is fun for the whole step family. I'm going to say the B word. (laughs) Butthole sunning. If you were to put a hot dog in it, is it a sandwich? (laughs) I don't know. Is a bread dilder with a hot dog inside it a sandwich? Write to us at smutsup69 at gmail.com and let us know what you think about that. Available on your favorite podcast apps. I put a D20 in my mouth. Nailed it. Why is it sticky? I put a D20 in my mouth. (laughs) I love that. I love love that show. Uh, My kind of humor, it's awesome. Yeah. So as we're going into Halloween season, I'm going to bring a couple changes. I will no longer be providing fun facts at random. Instead, I will provide scary facts. Ooh. Sounds spooky. 
Is it like the, cat, is it like the uh, Carfax? Carfax, yeah. The scary a facts. little bit. <laughs> scary facts. Show me the Carfax. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of spooky, we are going to hop in our vehicle. I don't know, let's take mine. It holds more people, a little bit more room. Uh, we're going to hop on. Uh, op on. We're going to hop on I-35, head north to 135. And, well, we're going to head north to Wichita. And then we're going to exit over onto 135 and hit the north side of Wichita and go to Newton, Kansas. <laughs> I'm not in Kansas anymore. Um, I have uh, driven this route many, many, many a times. Um, I talked in one episode about how Newton, Kansas was like my my halfway point to Junction City. So it was kind of like a my second wind on the way there and on the way home. <laughs> it's just past Newton that you see your first Oklahoma City sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So on the way home, it was always like, I'm almost there. Um, but... We had a lot of listeners in Newton, Kansas over the last few episodes, so they won our road trip. This could easily, this is actually a place that we could easily go on like a weekend yeah. trip. I mean, it's like a two-hour drive. I mean, I mean, technically, we could even do a day trip there, yeah. but I mean, if you wanted to experience everything there is to experience, then you would need at least, you know, a couple of days so you <laughs> can like sleep and do all the spooky stuff at night. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, no, I also got my first... No, Dave got his first speeding ticket in Newton, Kansas. Mm-hmm. On I-35, or I-135. Yeah. <laughs> I had just got my license, too. Yeah. Good thing. Yeah. Because I used to drive without it. I didn't <laughs> give a fuck. So, yeah. We, we have been in Newton many times. In fact, uh, one of my third piece stop on the way to Junction City was in Newton. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's go ahead and get started and find out what is spooky in Newton. Beginning in the 1870s, Kansas experienced a high rate of Russian Mennonite immigrants, as well as German-Russian immigrants, bringing with them crocks full of seeds of turkey red wheat. That's something I'll get into a bit later. Scary fact. There might be a haunted Russian radio station. UVB-76 is a low-frequency radio station that has been broadcasting since 1982. No one knows where the broadcast is originating. It's mostly just a buzzing noise with an occasional Russian voice transmission. <laughs> That's not creepy. <laughs> <laughs> In July 1871, the Santa Fe Railroad extended its line to Newton, Kansas, which then succeeded Abilene in the terminus of the Chisholm Trail. The cattle boom at Newton only lasted a year, for the railroad was soon extended to Wichita. Wichita! In July to August of 1871, during this period there was considerable violence in the saloons and dance halls at Newton, with nine men being shot down in one shootout. The following story comes from legendsofamerica.com. Dot com. Dot com. On August 20th, 1871, one of the largest gunfights to ever take place in the American West was fought in Newton, Kansas. Known as the Hyde Park Gunfight or the Newton Massacre. The shootout claimed more lives than many more famous gunfights, such as Dalton Gang Gunfight 
at Coffeyville, Kansas, or the gunfight at the OK Corral in Tombstone, Arizona. When the Santa Fe Railroad extended its line to Newton, Kansas in 1871, this new frontier town succeeded Abilene as the terminus of the Chisholm Trail. Like other Kansas cow towns, Newton quickly filled up with saloons, gambling parlors, brothels, and inevitably, lawless and violent men. Oh, yeah. The whole affair began when two local lawmen by the names of Bill Bailey and Mike McCluskey argued over local politics on August 11th at the Red Front Saloon. McCluskey, an Irishman from Ohio, and a rough man by anyone's standards, had made his way to Kansas via his employment with the Santa Fe Railroad as a night policeman. Shortly after his arrival, he befriended an 18-year-old man named James Riley, who was dying of tuberculosis. This is relevant because Riley would soon play a major role in the famous gunfight that was to come. Bill Bailey was a Texas cowboy who had probably wound up in Newton, after one of the long cattle drives. Both men had been hired by Newton authorities as special policemen to keep order in the city during the heated August elections. At that time, the fledging city was trying to form a new county, and who would lead these efforts was a major debate among the locals. Through working in tandem, McCluskey and Bailey had a personality conflict from the start. Constantly arguing, the two men were in the Red Front Saloon on August 11th, and their dispute soon led to violence. Starting out as a fistfight, Bailey was knocked out of the saloon and into the dusty street. McCluskey followed, drew his pistol, and fired two shots at him, hitting him in the chest. The wounded man died the next day. McCluskey immediately fed town to avoid arrest, but returned just a few days later after he heard that the shooting would most likely be deemed self-defense. Though Bailey never produced a weapon, McCluskey claimed he feared for his life because Bailey had been in three previous gunfights, in which he had killed two men. Several of Bailey's cowboy friends from Texas heard about his death and vowed to take revenge. Late on the evening of August 19, 1871, McCluskey strode into Tuttle's dance hall, located in an area of town called Hyde Park, accompanied by a friend named Jim Martin. A Texas cowboy, the two sat down to play pharaoh. Already in the saloon was McCluskey's shadow, James Riley. After midnight, three of Bailey's Texas cowboy friends by the names of Billy Garrett, Henry Carnes, and Jim Wilkerson also entered the dance hall. These are like perfect Western names. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have picked better names for cowboys. All were armed, and Billy Garrett had a history of at least two prior gunfights, where he had been successful in killing two men. So he's doing better. He's two for two. <laughs> Bailey was two for three. All I got to say is, who needs outlaws when you got lawmen like this? <laughs> The three mingled in the saloon, waiting and watching McCluskey gamble. Soon, another Texas cowboy named Hugh Anderson, the son of a wealthy Bell County, Texas cattle rancher, also entered the dance hall, walking directly up to McCluskey and yelling, You're a cowardly son of a bitch! I'll blow the top of your head off! Though Jim Martin jumped up and attempted to stop any violence, 
Anderson ignored him and shot McCluskey in the neck. McCluskey, in the meantime, tried to return the shot, but his pistol misfired and he fell to the floor. Anderson, now standing over him, pumped several more bullets into his back. In the meantime, Texas Cowboys Carnes, Garrett, and Wilkerson also began firing, perhaps to keep the crowd back. James Riley, McCluskey's friend, then pulled his two Colt revolvers and opened fire on the Texans. Though Riley had never been in a gunfight before, and probably couldn't see in the smoke-filled room, he unloaded his guns into melee, hitting seven men. Among those hit were would-be peacemaker Jim Martin, who took a shot in the neck before stumbling out of the saloon and dying across the dusty street on the steps of Crumb's dance hall. Texas cowboy Billy Garrett was shot in the shoulder and chest and died a few hours later. His friend Henry Carnes also took a mortal wound, but hung on for a week before he died. Others who had no part in the squabble also took some of Riley's wild bullets, including a Santa Fe Railroad brakeman named Patrick Lee, who was shot in the stomach and died two days later. Another Santa Fe employee named Hickey, who was also shot in the calf, but the wound was not serious and he survived. Now, see, this guy's got a better record. <laughs> He's like seven for one. <laughs> I pick him. <laughs> the other two Texas Cowboys, Jim Wilkerson and the first shooter, Hugh Anderson, were also wounded. Wilkerson was shot in the nose and the leg, but recovered from his wounds. Anderson took two shots in the leg and also recovered. With seven men lying on the floor, young James Riley, who previous to this time had never been in trouble, simply walked out of the smoke-filled saloon and was never seen again. Later that day, a warrant was issued for the arrest of Hugh Anderson. However, his father and friends smuggled him aboard a train to Kansas City. Later, he made his way back to Texas and was never brought to trial for McCluskey's murder. However, the whole affair was not yet over. Now, Arthur McCluskey, Mike's brother, wanted revenge against Hugh Anderson. For two years, Arthur and his friends kept a lookout for Anderson, who was safely hiding in Texas. But Anderson made the mistake of returning to Kansas in 1873, where Arthur tracked him down in Medicine Lodge. Working at Harding's Trading Post as a bartender, Arthur sent a man in on July 4th, 1873 to invite Anderson to a duel, giving him choice of weapons, either guns or knives. Anderson chose pistols and soon emerged from the trading post. After both men emptied their guns into each other, they then resorted to knives, and in the end, both were dead. Though the Hyde Park gunfight received much publicity at the time, it has received little historical attention despite producing a higher body count than many more famous gunfights, such as the gunfight at the OK Corral or the Four Dead in Five Seconds gunfight of 1881. Perhaps this is because there were no famous people involved. Probably had a lot to do with it. But like I said, like, <coughs> who needs outlaws when your policemen, your policemen are going to shoot each other, everybody <clears throat> up in the saloon? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if that happened now? 
It does. Oh, wait. Yes, it does. <laughs> Way too often. <laughs> My bad. According to this article from the Kansas, from the Kansan, December 3rd, 2010, it's hairless. It looks like some impossible cross between a rat, dog, and kangaroo. Indeed, it is just creepy looking. A redagaroo. A redagaroo. A redagaroo. After a Sedgwick County family claimed to have shot a mysterious chupacabra. Hey, chupacabra. Oi. Rumors have flown that a similar animal is stalking the countryside of Harvey County near the Sedgwick County line. Chupacabra is a legendary cryptid rumored to inhabit parts of the Americas. Its first recorded sighting was in 1995 in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. But there have since been reports of the creature in the United States, Mexico, and Latin America. Chupacabra. Chupacabra literally means goat sucker in Spanish, thus named because the animal reportedly had a habit of attacking and drinking the blood of livestock. If you want to learn more about the chupacabra, you should check out our chupacabra episode. Scientists investigating similar cases determined that at least two of the animals supposed to be chupacabras actually were coyotes, likely with severe cases of mange. Likely. Harvey County Sheriff T. Walton chuckled at the mention of the chupacabra. Hey, chupacabra. Needless to say, sheriff's deputies will not be out chasing the mystical beast, he said. Now, where's your sense of adventure? (laughs) You can become rich. Walton said experts have determined the animal that was killed in Sedgwick County was likely a coyote with mange or a raccoon without hair. Walton urged residents to be cautious of all wild animals, as a sick animal as a sick animal may have the potential to spread disease. Sick animal. I, I will say that a bald <coughs> raccoon is very likely a culprit for a chupacabra. And I, I said, have never chup- seen a bald raccoon. Have you ever seen an albino raccoon? I have. Mm, yeah. Okay. Because to me, they almost, I mean, the albino ones, they have white fur, but they you can see, like, their body a little bit better. Like, their actual flesh, it's not, you know, it's easier to see. And you can see how small their bodies actually are. Now, and then they got those fingers. Yeah. Now, what I don't understand is if these people are experts, how could they not tell the difference between a coyote or a raccoon? Very true. I mean, but, the, the animal was killed they had a specimen <laughs> if we have chupacabras in texas and they have tested those and they can't find a dna match for them we have them in oklahoma it would make sense that they would eventually migrate north to kansas i mean the only difference between kansas and oklahoma is kansas gets colder yeah like they're very similar states so uh it makes sense that it, they would migrate north or north or They'd migrate north or if they wanted colder weather. I don't I don't know. Sure. Why not? They spend their summers in Kansas and their winters in Texas. Yeah. And we're just the go between. It's possible. We're the P stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in early twenty twenty one, residents of Newton began reporting mysterious lights in the sky. Diamond Lucy in the sky with diamonds. These allegedly turned out to be Starlink satellites. 
Thoughts? All right, y'all. Really? You can't come up with some cooler lights in the sky? We see satellites. You go outside, you're going to see a satellite fly by. You can tell when they're satellites. They move in a line. It's Kansas. You had to find something fun to do. And I would say you could probably see a lot more of them in Kansas because they're unless you're in like in the cities, Kansas is a lot of a lot of farmland. So I don't know. I, I would like I would have liked that to be a little bit more uh, alien like. I don't know why I'm talking like this. Apparently, my headache has affected my uh, accent. <laughs> Help! In Newton, Kansas, the Old Mill Plaza has been haunted by an old lady. She is reported wearing clothes from over a century ago. Several people have attempted to follow her and have been outmaneuvered disappearing around corners of this four-story building, which contains a restaurant, Reba's, and an office space. For years, this has been a historic site, not only by the state registers, but the national ones as well. Reba Ballard, owner of Reba's Restaurant and Bar, said, I would say every day I have the opportunity to educate new people to our building. It's so unique. Built in 1879, the first three floors are a Romanesque style, while the fourth floor is of a French mansard style. Originally, the building was the Monarch Steam Mill, owned by Russian immigrant Bernhard Warkenton, who called it the Newton Milling and Elevator Company. Warkenton was one of the first to bring turkey red wheat from southern Russia into Kansas. From there, it spread to neighboring states and was exported throughout the world. The historic preservation planner, Billy Joe Wilson, said, He determined the soil and the climate here are favorable for this variety of wheat and encouraged the immigrants of Mennonites from the Ukraine to Kansas to bring the seeds of the turkey red with them. To put this in perspective, easier to understand, in 1870, Kansas produced 2.5 million bushels of wheat. In 1880, after turkey red hard winter wheat was introduced, Kansas produced 17.3 million bushels. By 1890, that climbed to 30.3 million bushels. A lot hardier of a wheat. Mm-hmm. Winter wheat accounts for 70 to 80% of total wheat production in the United States these days. By 1870, the old mill had fallen into disrepair and was about to be demolished, but a local manufacturer named Lloyd Smith stepped in and purchased it. He renovated the building and ran a tool and die shop at a part of it. Over time, the building transformed from housing manufacturing business to office space. In 2009, a fire occurred in the building, but mostly just caused smoke damage. The building was restored again. The manager of the building, Arthur Delmas, commenting on the renovations over the years from it said, The interior has changed a great deal, but the exterior still looks a lot like it had. Wilson commented on the success of Warkington and the revival of the wheat crop. It truly stands as a remarkable record in the crucial segment of Newton's past. Before we check out the cemetery, I want to share an anonymous submission about a field on West 12th Street. When you leave town on West 12th Street, there's a field on your right. 
There's a ghost in that field. I have seen it. I was told about the ghost a while back, but didn't believe it. But when I got real curious and went to check it out, I saw it. I seen it. To see the ghost, you need to go there at midnight, park your car, and just go outside and be real quiet and look over to look out over the field. After a while, the ghost will appear. It's luminous silhouette of a person. It glows faintly. No one I've talked to seems to know the history of the ghost. I wonder who is this person, who this person was, and what this ghost is doing in the field. If you build it, they will come. It's Iowa. If you build it, they, they will haunt. Giggity. <laughs> the Greenwood Cemetery was established in 1872. It is one of the largest municipal cemeteries in Kansas, having more than 15,000 occupied spaces. The staff perform on average between 100 and 150 funeral rites per year. What many may not realize is that the headstones that are supposed to mark the final resting place of bodies could have been moved from other burial sites. Where they just pick up the gravestone and like, I'm going to put it over here. Mm-hmm. As the towns grew and the city limits expanded, what was once a hill outside of town became turned into homes. And graves dug up so its occupants could be moved to new areas. At least they dug them up. Brian Stuckey began his talk on grave mysteries hosted at the Newton Public Library by saying, Part of the history and mystery of early settlement in Kansas is where people lived, what they did, and where they died, and were buried. In many cases, we believe we know exactly what happened to them. However, in early days, records were not always kept. That's a lot like the one here in Norman, that, you know, as the town expanded, they had to move the graves because... It wasn't the edge of town anymore. Now it's like smack dab in the center. (laughs) Right. Stuckey focused on locations of these early graves in both Newton and North Newton during his presentation, claiming he was able to find information about the first cemeteries in Newton through research done by the Harvey County Historical Society. What I find absolutely fascinating about Brian Stuckey's approach is he uses an L-shaped copper rods and douses an area. In doing this, he finds grave sites, wagon tracks, trails, outlines of lost building, wells, pits, and campsites. While this process isn't scientifically valid, he finds it to be an incredibly accurate way to locate disturbed earth. I will find the outline of a grave within a centimeter and find it fairly quickly. Well, we talked about dowsing in a little bit in, I think, our Haunted Navy episode. I think so. And uh, and also in the Eighth Tower, John Keel talks about dowsing. And he talks about with, like, dowsing rods, it's actually, they're just kind of there and you're the antenna and you're picking it all up and finding all these spots. That's that's really freaking cool. <laughs> I want to I learn how to douse. I would really, I think that would be really fun. Yeah, I think so, too. One grave Stucky refuses to find is that of the legendary Cowboy Grave. 
Rumored to be under a two-trunk tree near Highway 15 north of the I-35 interchange. Jim Goldman is allegedly buried there. I say allegedly because John Dick admitted this rumor to Stucky. Newton's very first cemetery, however, was called Boot Hill and was located on the south side of East 1st Street, right between Slate Creek and High Street. Stucky acknowledged, That is today a residential section. So far, I found 30 gravesites. When Newton residents began to build homes there in 1873 following the influx of Russian immigrants in the Santa Fe rail line, the city created Greenwood Cemetery. Most of the bodies buried on Boot Hill were moved to this cemetery. I said most, because as later homeowners would discover, burials were not recorded, and not all graves were marked. One of the first people to be buried in Boot Hill was Deputy Sheriff Carlos King, who after serving for a month was fatally shot on September 23, 1871. That's about 33 days after the Hyde Park gunfight. Stucky said of this, Carlos King's shooting was also considered the first law enforcement officer death in Sedgwick County. Since Newton was in Sedgwick County at the time, you will find the name first on the wall at the Sedgwick County Law Enforcement Memorial on the southwest corner of Central and Main in Wichita. On January 20, 1915, the Newton, Kansas Evening Republic reported that Dr. John Axtell recalled that he had removed skeletons from Boot Hill in 1879, with permission, to help with his anatomy studies. Of the three skeletons he unearthed, one was still in his possession at the hospital. It was totally a legal grave robbing. That's okay. They said I could. Who? Well, them. Who's them? Well, not you, but them. (laughs) There were two cemeteries on the current grounds of Bethel College. Hey, I went there. And a Bethel College cemetery can be found in old records at the college. Well, I guess I didn't go there. I went there to tour the school (laughs) and got offered a scholarship, but couldn't afford the damn place. (laughs) Stucky said... Clinton Copes recalled that the graves of this little cemetery were moved to Greenwood when Main Street was curved at that location. A map from 1918 shows the road taking two right-angle turns before it was a curve to the present shape. When Stucky visited with Copes, he remembered seeing 20 gravestones at the location. He thought the graves were moved sometime in the late 20s or early 30s. Likely to Greenwood, but possibly to some home communities of the deceased. We also recall the gate on the south side of the cemetery with an arched wrought iron sign above it. When Stucky went dowsing for graves, he found 52 in the area. Bingo. Some of them were underneath Main Street. Marking spots on the K-15 was particularly hazardous to life and limb. (laughs) (laughs) At Kaufman Museum, Stucky located a cluster of more than 20 grave sites along the northwest corner of the parking lot. He got a clue of this cemetery from an atlas 
printed in 1902. This cemetery appears on no other atlas or map before or after 1902 that I know of. If it were, if it never existed, then why was it drawn there? Stucky also shared a story of a home that used to be owned by someone that regularly held meetings for the Ku Klux Klan in his backyard. As I doused the backyard, seven rectangles were found that were consistent with grave-sized areas. A fleeting but creepy thought was, what if there were African Americans who quietly disappeared and were buried in that backyard? Without any evidence, it could easily have been another earlier burial ground, as it was located on a hill outside of the early town limits. Stucky said, If there are secrets below the surface of the ground, they might just have to remain secret. That's kind of cool Isn't it? I mean One thing is like Why is it creepy that it's African Americans That disappear from buried there Like isn't it creepy anytime you go on like out I mean yeah I mean, lot, like, Huh I think there's buried bodies buried here Anytime there's bodies buried in the backyard It's a little <laughs> bit on the creepy side um, I don't care what race the bodies are I mean I understand what he said But just the way In all honesty if I were digging out in my backyard and I found bones, I wouldn't care what freaking race it was. I'd be like, what the hell? It's a skeleton. <laughs> Scary fact. Until the 20th century, human remains were used in the making of medicine. Per medium, it was thought that ingesting powdered remains of certain organs would help with pain or ailments in that part of the body. For example, the crushed and powdered skull of a deceased person would be ingested to cure headaches. They still do this. <laughs> they do still do this. Our mother went to a chiropractor for back pain, and they prescribed her spleno, mm-hmm. which was literally just powdered spleen. Dun, dun, yeah, I know you're having dun. a headache, <laughs> so... To cure your headache, I'm going to go ahead and uh, crush and powder this skull of somebody else, <laughs> and it'll make your headache go away. Pretty sure like, just give me more of a headache. I'm sorry, when I have a headache, I want you to crash and pow- or crush and pound my own head. because <laughs> My head already feels like what you're doing to that one. Stop! <laughs> so we already know that they move the gravestones, but not most of the bodies. And this encounter, or the following encounter, comes to us from Jack and was submitted to ghostofamerica.com. Dot com. While on a bicycle ride through Greenwood, my son and I spotted a dump truck full of dirt and two guys up to their chest in a grave plot. At first, we didn't think much of this. But upon further investigation, we noticed that they were wearing clothes that looked like from the 40s with fedora hats and flannel. The truck was a late 40s or early 50s vintage, but looked brand new. One guy climbed out of the grave and the other guy stood and stared at us. I started having a feeling that these guys were up to no good. So they started playing b-ball in the neighborhood. (laughs) 
As in digging up a grave. I waved at them, but they just stared at us and didn't respond. So we paddled on. A few minutes later, we were leaving when I heard a truck fire up. Next thing I noticed, they were leaving in the same direction that we were headed. We paddled faster. It was almost dark, and the large dump truck's lights were getting closer. We paddled very fast and left Greenwood. Then we turned right at the first street we came to, and we stopped, and the truck never drove by. The next night, we returned to Greenwood. We rode our bikes to the exact spot where the truck was parked and where they were digging. Not one blade of grass was disturbed. There were no truck tracks or fresh dirt. Nothing. It was like it never happened. Did we see something that happened from the past, like grave robbers from another time? When they started, when they stared at us, it was like they could see us, but didn't respond to our waves. I've returned many times and went to the same area. I checked for a truck looking like the one we saw that night, but found nothing. I was glad I wasn't the only one that saw this. My son and I often relive the evening of Greenwood. Sounds like they found a time slip. That's very fascinating. I stumbled upon a Kansas article about local resident Brad Buckta. For a while, watching on television was enough for Newton's Brad Buckta. It held his interest. For a while. But then he started thinking he could do what he was watching on cable. He could investigate the paranormal. I've always been into it, Buckta said. I'm a big fan of paranormal shows. On those shows, investigators go to an allegedly haunted location, a house, prison, hospital, business, or wherever there's been reports of a ghost. Armed with video cameras and gadgets, they spend the night and they look for evidence. They use equipment like digital recorders and electromagnetic field detectors to see if they communicate with the dead. I started looking into equipment and I decided to try it for fun to begin with, Bucca said. And he thought Newton, with its storied history, would be a great place to look for ghosts. We lived here. We lived in a house here in Newton where we experienced some paranormal activity. I would love to go back and investigate it, even though the thought even though it scares me. I still get anxiety attacks every time I drive by that house. Bucca has put together a team and has found a couple of favorite spots to investigate, with an old schoolhouse, a familiar haunt for his group. Legend has it that a young boy died at Kellis School, and his team has been there several times on investigations. While there, they have heard footsteps and humming. <laughs> When you hear something, you tend to play it off, but these were noises you couldn't ignore. Like those investigation teams on television, the team has recorded unexplainable videos and EVPs. An EVP is an electronic voice phenomena, often which sound like whispered words. I have to go to the bathroom. 
Other times, it's a thump or a random noise. Sorry. Sometimes things can get downright creepy. Like at a house in Minneapolis, the team has investigated. Do you have any toilet paper? The EMF detector was showing a magnetic field. And the homeowners had suspected there was the spirit of a woman in the house. I asked her to talk to me. I got a cold sensation, and even the EMF light came on. At a bridge near Valley Center, investigators heard what sounded like a large animal in the middle of the bridge where nothing was visible. It sounded like a large horse. (laughs) And our recorder picked up another one we couldn't hear. The team always asks permission of a homeowner prior to an investigation. Well, that's good. I really <laughs> no. Uh, doing it anyway. I asked. Out. I'm here to investigate the ghost. I just like I says ask permission, but it's like we just said no, and they're like, "All right, we're still doing it anyway. <laughs> Fuck off." <laughs> and they start the investigation with prayers of protection, but they won't ask a spirit to leave or try and clean a home. That's not what they are there. Yeah, I wouldn't ask the spirit to try to clean the house either. I ask all the time. It doesn't happen. <laughs> I, I think they probably make cleanse because they put uh, it in quotes. <laughs> they just didn't know the right word. I'm always asking the spirits to clean the house. They don't do anything. They are there to see what they can find. Some form of proof that spirits do exist. What scares other people makes us curious. I totally agree with this dude and like his life story, like his backstory sounds a hell of a lot like me too, because I didn't know paranormal investigation was a thing until ghost hunters. And then I was like, holy shit, I could do that. And then and I grew up in that haunted house. Like, yeah, like, yeah. I, 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 I feel kindred with this person. Maybe that's why I did his voice. <laughs> I mean, that was totally him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if he's one of our listeners. I don't know. We've got a lot of listeners there in Newton. If if, this, if you're one of our listeners and you're this... Was it Brad? Yeah. yeah. If you're Brad, send us a message on Facebook or Instagram or Discord or send us an email. And forgive at, Amy's bad yeah, interpretation of your voice. I don't know why I'm talking like this tonight. <laughs> I can't seem to get out of it. <laughs> I do apologize. But yeah, if... if Or if you know him, send us an email. (laughs) Uh, We found several stories from hauntedinamerica.com of people's encounters of uh, just just towns surrounding Newton. Within, like, I picked up, like, about a 10-mile radius. All right, these come from Halstead. The first one is the Townsman Motel. Hotel, motel, Holiday Inn. And and was submitted by Matthew. Last year during the summer, Devin and I made a ghost hunting business for the heck of it. So we went inside the Townsman Motel. One of the doors were open, and so we went in. We saw this dusty old Bible on the table. It's not breaking and entering if the door is open, right? (laughs) Then it's just trespassing. (laughs) We turned around and tried to look for more things. God damn it, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to stay, like, not redneck. We turned around and tried to look for more things. When we turned around around again, there was a skeleton-like handprint on the Bible. 
Zoinks! <laughs> the second day, we got supplies. We went through the carport part. I read this book called Skeleton Creek. And it had some Morse code in it. I said, we will not hurt you. Show yourself. And then we hear unworldly screaming. And in the middle of that, two very loud bangs. Uh, 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 boom! Oh. <laughs> Wrong kind of screaming and loud bang. Uh, maybe. I mean, I mean, obviously, you just guys walked in the door of a. It was a motel. I mean, hotel, Holiday Inn. Matthew was closest to the ghost. It looked like a skeleton. We ran as hard as we could. Matthew felled force against his chest and jaw, like he was being pulled back. Luckily, we both made it out safe. We were very creeped out. We were seeing things for the next half year. We were paranoid. Devin has a ghost in his attic. Matthew saw things in his den. We got over it, but we didn't ever want to go back there or go in there again. Not to mention that we didn't know we weren't allowed in there. <laughs> back to that trespassing thing. <laughs> it's not breaking and entering. If the door is open, it's just trespassing. Scary fact. There's a skeleton inside you. <gasps> All right. The next one is Valley Hope Hospital. And this was submitted by Trudy. Trudy. <clears throat> Two years ago, I spent four weeks in Valley Hope Drug and Alcohol Treatment Hospital in Helstead. This facility is housed in an old Halstead Hel- Hel- Hospital building, which is a four-story building with only a bottom when but only the bottom two floors were used by Valley Hope. The elevators were set so they wouldn't stop on the unused floors. One day I was on the elevator going to the second floor to see my counselor when the elevator door opened. I I certainly was not on the second floor. In a very dark hall I saw a figure of a man in a hospital gown and slippers walking down the hall. I quickly hit the second floor button when the doors opened again, I was on the second floor. I told my counselor what happened, and she said it was impossible for me to have gotten to one of the unused floors. But e- even if I could, I wouldn't see any other persons there because any other person there because no one has been up there in a long time. But I know what I saw. I know what I saw. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the elevator game. Yeah. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is from Sedgwick. And I lifted this right off of Wikipedia. It's Theorosa's Bridge. Theorosa's Bridge is a reportedly haunted location in between the towns of Sedgwick and Valley Center in Kansas, United States. Valley Center is just north of Wichita. Over the years, it has burned down and been rebuilt. There are several versions of the urban legend but none have been confirmed historically or otherwise. And that's probably why it's an urban legend. (laughs) The first and oldest version is set in the late 19th century when settlers were traveling through the area. According to this story, a wagon train was passing through when a group of Native Americans attacked and a settler's baby named Theorosa was stolen. No, my baby. Her mother, grief-stricken and sick with worry, left the wagon train to search for her daughter. 
and according to legend, her apparition still roams the creek near the site of the bridge, her mournful voice still crying out, Fiorosa! Forever searching for her lost child, never to be seen by her again. Another version holds that Theorosa is a young Native American woman who had an illegitimate baby with a white settler, and to hide her shame, she throws the baby into a nearby river and drowns it. Then, overwhelmed by grief, she also hurls herself into the water. In another close version, Theorosa is standing on the banks of the creek when she is stabbed in the back by the baby's father. The baby falls into the water and is carried away, and Theorosa dies a short time after, only to haunt the creek, searching for the lost child. Theorosa, Theorosa. See, they better watch out, because this is the kind of stuff that happened before abortion was legal. Mm-hmm. A more modern version of the story has Theorosa as a local farm wife who has an illegitimate child with a hired hand. To hide her guilt, she throws the baby from the bridge. She jumps in after the child into the river and then returns to haunt the place. The story also maintains that those who stand on the bridge and speak aloud that they are Teresa's child, or that they are Theorosa's child, will be attacked by the specter as she rushes up from the river and tries to throw the person into the water below. Can we try it? Another modern variation involves a mother and her family living near the creek. The mother has three children, two sons, and a daughter named Theorosa. She, her husbands, and sons all have blonde hair, but her daughter's hair is brown. Her husband suspects her of cheating with their neighbor and drowns Theorosa in a creek. When she asks her husband where Theorosa is, he confesses that he killed her. The mother searches day after day for her baby. While she searches, her husband takes the two sons and abandons her. She ends up farming and living on her own until she dies of natural causes. But every day of her life, she returns to the spot that her husband described. Quote, down the creek at the end of the bridge, unquote. To this day, she still visits the very same spot. If someone recites a chant about having her child, she will try to hurt them. Over the years, there have been many reports of strange lights and even the ghostly figure of a woman. There are claims of cold breezes, as well as the sounds of mournful sobbing and of a baby crying. Also, cars stalling mysteriously while crossing the bridge has been reported. The original iron and wood bridge was burned down in 1974. It was repaired, but burned again. And the road remained closed until the current concrete bridge opened in 1991. The new bridge and all the signs by it are covered in graffiti. The bridge is located at 109th Street North and North 24th Street West. So your typical crybaby bridge. Yeah. We find them every time. Yep. (laughs) Now, the nearby town of Gossel or Gosell, or I'm not sure how it's pronounced, at the high school, this story was submitted by John. Go to the old section of the Gossel High School. 
There is a ghost that has a name of Abe. If you sit in the old gym and call out his name, you can hear him walking up the steps towards you. Cleaning staff at night have heard voices. Windows will be left open, and shadows of a man walking around are all normal here. Dun, dun, another high school that's haunted. Every town has one of those, too. Mm-hmm. Haunt, haunt, haunted, haunted high school. <clears throat> I mean, we can go check out a crybaby bridge. I mean, which I'm talking like it's only like yeah. two hours away. And I got the I'm Thea Rosa's child. Thea Rosa. Thea Rosa. Then I'll be like, Zoinks! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then I'm, what do you say? Jinkies. <laughs> Jinkies. Rot row. <laughs> Let's split up, gang. <laughs> but no, um, thank you to all of our listeners in Newton for let, uh, for listening. and. Yeah, thank you for all your support. Yes. Um, it's been a little while since we've done a road, we've done, we've done a road trip. We've been going on down, down, down that road trip. <laughs> Um, next week we'll start the beginning of the spooky season. It's exciting! Oh my god, we got uh, some good episodes for you guys. I'm so excited. I only got rid of a redneck. I <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, headaches maybe talk funny. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> help! Uh, do. If you are from Newton or anywhere else and you've got some awesome, creepy stories, ghosts, aliens, cryptids, whatever, send them our way. You can email us at umpnormalcy at gmail.com. You can submit them directly on our website at umpnormalcy.com. Um, and it's umpnormalcy at gmail.com. I don't know if I said that. Maybe. I don't know. I'll fix it in editing. Uh, <laughs> you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord at UMP Normalcy, and be sure to join and be sure to join and be sure to join our Facebook group um, so you can chat with us and hang out and talk about episodes or just share funny memes or listen to or get updates on Eli and all that kind of stuff. Um, also, don't forget to go check out our Green Mushroom Podcast, Brothers and Sisters. We've got Smuts Up, Luxa Cult, Faith Blind Council, Administrism, and Ad Hoc History. And of course, our brothers over at Grognostics and XV Planus and, yeah. and Primordia. Speaking of, she did an episode on nightmares and she talked a lot about Egyptian uh, mythology. Egyptian mythology. <laughs> and I listened yeah. to that right after we recorded our Egyptian mythology and I was like, oh, she's going to like this episode. <laughs> um, and she did and she commented on our Facebook group. One of her latest ones was really cool. Uh, the consciousness uh, the studies, studies of the government. government. Yeah, that was really yeah, The government. Government. I like her new, uh, the haunted Florida one she did with her friend. Ooh, oh, I haven't, I haven't listened, listened to that one yet. That one's really Jinx. good. Um, although, I want to say, I think she pauses for us to do 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 every time she says <laughs> phenomena. Do 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 because there's always a little pause and I'm always going do 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 do. <laughs> she probably joins us when we do it. And yeah. so every time she says it, she's gonna pause herself like 
phenomena. Or she cuts it out. <laughs> oh, damn it. I, I hope all of our listeners do that because it's kind of fun. Like, I was listening to the John Keel book, and he says phenomena constantly in that book. And the entire well, time, I'm like, dude, dude. Thanks to this podcast, I can't read or hear the word phenomena without doing it. It's <sighs> great. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, check out all those podcasts. Um, I mean, we podcast for ourselves, but we podcast for you. And mm-hmm. every podcaster out there appreciates a listen. So, Absolutely. Even if you just listen to one episode, we see it. Because it tells us on our little counters when we yeah. upload how many episode plays we've had. And it, every time it's like, yeah, look how many we have. <laughs> um. And I mean, that's how we get the haunted road trips. Yep. That's yeah. how we pick them. So if you want your city or town to be the next road trip stop that we take, uh, tell your friends and family about us and get them listening so that you can get your city's numbers up there. Yep. Um, we actually had an Oklahoma City that was next in line right under Newton. It was Tulsa. So oh. we're getting some Tulsa listeners. Uh I mean, I know we have a few because some of them are in our Discord, but, um, (laughs) 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 but yeah, uh, check or check us out, check us out. Uh, yeah. Tell your friends and family about us. If you've listened to this whole podcast and you don't like us, tell those that you don't like, because maybe they'll like us. Um, and I think that's going to do it for this week's episode until next time. Keep digging. Unearthing Paranormalcy is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at tgmpodcastnetwork.com.